Welcome back, Bible readers. Uh, this is the Rooted Podcast, and we are working through the end of First Samuel. And uh, this week we'll finish out our three weeks through uh, kind of the life of David as he was growing into becoming king and Saul um, and some of these issues here. So today we're going to finish up with 1 Samuel 27 through 2 Samuel chapter 1. Um, now, just to let you know what's coming uh, in the next couple of weeks um, as we get into uh, August, yeah, we're already into August soon enough, um, we'll be doing, uh, an, the first week of August, we'll be talking about Jesus the I Am and all of Jesus' statements. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. We'll talk about that the first week of August. There are many more than just those two. I know you all understand that. <laughs> um, and then the rest of the week, or the rest of the month of August, we'll actually be going through the book of Hebrews. And so that's a little more of a difficult book and a little more doctrinal stuff, but we'll be talking through that book uh, as we get to that get to that point. But today we're going to finish up with 1 Samuel 27 through 2 Samuel 1, and we've left David here um, after, um, uh, really, it's after uh, his, his continued conflict with Saul. Um, David's going to take a drastic action here as we start in chapter 27. And I find it ironic here as we start into the story into chapter 27. Um, in my text in, in New Translation here, in, in chapter 27, verse 1, it says, But David kept thinking to himself, Someday Saul is going to get me. And he says, The best thing, and I highlighted those words, the best thing that I can do is escape to the Philistines. And that's ironic. And that's not the best thing to do, would you think? I mean, the Philistines are Israel's perennial enemy. And David thinks it's a good idea to go and live amongst the Philistines. What he do you went think and joined about the other team. I know, exactly. <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, I mean, in, it, 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 it's remarkable, as you read from your text, yeah. and the, the New King James says the same thing. Yeah. David said in his heart, and instead of seeking the ephod or seeking the priest or exactly. the prophet or the words yep. of God or seeking the Lord, he simply went according to his own heart, his own feelings. And, you know, how often do our feelings tell us to do the wrong thing? So he, he got a little bit paranoid. Now, I understand, <laughs> you know, yeah. how he was running for his life exactly. from Saul. But God protected him two or three times, you know, when they were in the cave yeah. and uh, when Saul was camping and so forth, and he took his spear, and yeah. uh, God God took care of him. But here he gets a little bit, a little bit. Well, when scared. you're when you're running for your life, you do get scared yes. sometimes. You do make actions, and as I read through this chapter, um, I noticed that the word God or the name of the Lord never appeared at all mm. in this chapter. And so I think that's the distinct way the author is trying to tell us too that this was David's decision. This was uh, David's strategy. Yes, it was um, definitely David's decision. Because yeah. if if you look at this passage for a year and four months or yep. sixteen months, yeah, sixteen months through this whole period of time, yeah, yeah. David doesn't seek God again until you get to Ziglag. Right. You know, there's not any any passages, and and, and rightly so because it seems to work. It seems like Saul has stopped pursuing David. And so I think David thought, well, maybe this decision actually worked out um, because it says that then Saul, actually verse 1 of 27 says, then Saul will stop hunting me. And he did. He sure, he absolutely <laughs> did. And so he goes to the Philistines. He goes to the king here, Achish. Um, uh, and 
I guess for a while he was living in the royal cities of the Philistines, and David said, it's, I think it's better if we just go to a country city, to Ziklag, out in the country, and not bother anybody. And Achish gave him the town of Ziklag, it says in verse 7, which belongs to Judah, the kings of Judah, until this day, and he lived there for a total of 16 months. And so David kind of lives, like you said, Tim, for 16 months, kind of does his own thing. Yeah. And when the king asks him, he's kind of... Uh, vague about it, yeah. and ironically, no one's left alive from David's raids to tell what David is really doing. <laughs> I think that's kind of interesting in verse 11 of that chapter, no one was left alive uh, to come to Gath to tell where he had really been. It's happened again and again, um, and, and I think Achish was kind of like, okay, well, maybe he's here to stay. Maybe uh, David's going to be one of my uh, best military leaders, yeah. so I'm going to do whatever it takes. What, what does your version say of 27 verse 2, the NLT? I'm just curious. So, so David took 600 men and went over and joined Achish, son of Mahok, Mahok, the king of Gath. So Achish was the son of Mahok, yeah. who was the king of Gath. Yeah. And, you know, David had a, you know, this thing for the king's sons. He was friends with Jonathan, Yep. you know, yep. and uh, they were very, very friends. So he builds an alliance and a friendship with the king's son here. I thought that yeah. was unusual. I it saw is. that this morning. Well, then and you're also it. in Gath, and so that's also where he fought Goliath. I yeah. mean, oh, yeah. Goliath had brothers. So, Absolutely. I mean, David was well-known, uh, much more well-known than Saul might right. have been to the Philistines. Absolutely. And treated with more respect, it seems, than Saul had been or will yeah. be to the Philistines. So... You know, um, at this time, it's kind of 16 months here where David decides to go and, and kind of do his own thing and live and kind of get some peace. I think he was just exhausted and emotionally and probably physically tired. He just wanted a place where he could just not have to constantly be looking behind his back. But I wouldn't think you go to enemy territory to do that. Right? That would make no, that would make no it's, sense. It's easy to lose your way when you're tired and exhausted. It is. And the, the constant threat of Saul, I, I think, possibly wore him down. And it's hard to keep your eyes on the Lord when you're going through these. I, oh, I, I noticed in, in the New King James several times he was called the servant of Achish. Yeah. He was called yep. his servant. Yep. David kind of lost his identity as you know, as a, a soldier and a follower of Saul, and now he's with the enemy. Well, and, and, and it says that because in verse 21 it says, or excuse me, in chapter 28, as we start to get into chapter 28, it says, Achish told David, I will make you my personal bodyguard for yeah. life. Achish yeah. was excited. He's like, I've got a really good guy here who might actually be loyal to me, much more loyal than my fellow Philistines. Yeah. And he says, I want to make him my personal bodyguard. And so that kind of ends that little story. I mean, it's going to pick it back up. And then we're transported back to Saul, who is going to make a bad decision too, as well. I wonder what David thought about, you know, uh, where he says, I I'm going to make you one of my chief bodyguards. <laughs> you know, here he is. Yeah. God already told him he was going to be the king of Israel. Exactly. I mean, would you want to settle to be a bodyguard yeah. for the king's son, the, you know, Achish? I know. <laughs> so David kind of loses his identity here yeah. and uh, his sights, you know, for, you know, God called him the king of Israel, he's already rejected yeah. Saul, and now he's going to be the he's bodyguard. Like you said, he's kind of lost <laughs> yeah. his identity for a while. Yeah. And, you know, Saul is having problems as well. You get into chapter 28, oh. it says, you know, after Samuel died, um, we know that happened back in chapter 26, um, Philistines were starting to come up and set themselves up for battle against the Israelites, and of course Samuel's dead, and Saul doesn't know what to do, so he does the thing that 
he's told all of his fellow Israelites not to do, <laughs> but he does it. He goes to a, a medium, a spiritist here, and wants to conjure up um, Samuel's, uh, so he can get some answer because it says that he tried um, to get answers from the Lord. Yeah, but, verse 6. Yeah, he asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him either yeah. by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. Yeah. So Saul then decides, hey, well, maybe I could conjure up Samuel. Um, I, I, you know, I guess for us it sounds strange, you know, when God's not answering us or or we've been praying about something and we're not finding any answers. Usually we don't go and conjure up somebody's dead relatives. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we would go to some other person, maybe a godly advisor or counselor, or maybe a, a contemporary idea here would be maybe you go to your husband or wife's graveside and you just talk to them like some yeah. people do right. to find comfort or solace yeah. for answers. Maybe that's what he's yeah. trying to do here. But but we know what happens in the story Um no, in verse in verse number six, what, what do you think about this? And you and I both we love the Old Testament. Yeah. And Saul he inquired of the Lord, but, but God didn't answer him. He mm. he sought dreams. So God spoke in the Old Testament yep. about dreams yep. by the Urim and, and Thummim, yep. the, the, you know the casting yep. of lots, From the high priest, yeah. and then by the prophets. So you got four means. It, of, he of seems how, like he's doing the right thing, yeah. the right direction, but God he is exhausted not the process, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, and I think sometimes we exhaust our process as well, and we don't get any answers. But it's okay because you know we need to be patient, and, and sometimes patience is part of what God might be trying to teach us. Yeah, now calls. we know that God had already rejected yes. Saul. We know exactly. he's already in his downfall, disobedience. That's right. right. And so we know what's happened. But you know, <laughs> in, in our case, in a more contemporary setting, you know, you might have exhausted all your resources, um, and, and that's the time when you need to wait and be patient and let God show up because God always shows up on his timetable. He never shows up on our timetable because if he did he wouldn't be he wouldn't be God, he'd be yes. a cosmic genie. But it's a, it's of. amazing God cut him off for his disobedience, but instead of waiting on God like you suggested, yep. he goes further into disobedience <laughs> and violates a law that he had established yep. Yep. with the mediums yep. and the spiritists and the, the witches and so forth. Yeah, and, and that had been outlawed, and he's even the one that said that. So it's yeah. kind of like, you know, do what I say, but don't do what I do, uh, <laughs> is what he was saying. And and I find it, uh, as you read through this 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 narrative here in, in 28, I find it unusual that this medium or spiritist is surprised by Samuel's appearance, as if I actually did something that worked. <laughs> And you it makes you kind of think, well, what was she doing before this time? Was it all fake? Was it all, you know, false? Or was it all controlled some way? But for whatever reason, um, and we're not going to get into the nitty gritty of what actually happened. We know that it happened. It says in the text, for whatever reason, God allowed either Samuel or uh, a vision of Samuel or some kind of apparition of Samuel to show up to tell Saul or to explain to Saul, give Saul right, a new right. prophecy. Not a new prophecy, but remind him of an old one that had already been given because he already told um, Saul that the kingdom would be torn away from you. You're finished. And he just comes and reminds him of the same thing. Right. And he says in verse 21, he says, excuse me, after what happened comes from uh, the medium here. Uh, if you look at verse um, 16, it says, But Samuel replied, Why ask me since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival, David. 
And the Lord has done this because you refuse to carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites. And you notice towards the is. end of this chapter, there's a lot of Amalekites that keep showing up back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Even in chapter, tw- well, in Second Samuel verse 1, it's an Amalekite that comes and tells David the message. They show up. And it says, what's more, the Lord will hand you and the army of the Philistines over to you tomorrow, and you and your sons will be here with me. And the Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. Now, this is an interesting thing, and I want to get your take on it, and maybe we should have discussed this earlier. But when he says in verse 19, he says, What's more, the Lord will hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow. That's Samuel saying this. And you and your sons will be here with me, with Samuel. So Samuel's saying that Saul and all of his sons will be with Samuel. The Lord will bring you down in the entire Israel of enemy into defeat. Because some people think that Saul um, would never put his faith in Christ or, or, or faith in God and is, is, had rejected him. But what seems to be clear here in the text, it seems to say that Saul and his sons will be with Samuel. Yeah. And the rub even gets better. He committed suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Fell on his own spear. <laughs> That's exactly so, right. But the text says what it says. Exactly. You have and to be faithful to the text. That's right. And so even though, and it just goes to say, you know, there can be people today that do some horrendous things. Absolutely. And they come to faith later in their life. Yes. God's still going to save them. Yes. Or maybe they got saved at a young age and they just fall away in, in a horrible fashion. God's still going to save them because they put their faith and trust That's in right. Christ. Right. And here Samuel is the one, and if he's saying it to him, then you know that it's, there's some authenticity to that. Yes. Um, so there is a place, of course, if we're talking about disembodied spirits, where uh, spirits would go until the day when they're uh, reunited with their body. Um, and so Samuel's spirit was there, and so he's saying that Saul and, and his sons would go and be with Samuel. Um, and But after this happens, the amazing thing is, it's like Saul doesn't even accept the judgment. He still goes right into battle. Yeah. It's as if it's a, it didn't even phase him. Right. Here, God's allowing Samuel to be uh, brought up from the dead, so to speak. Prophetic. And <laughs> still doesn't. And he still goes still right... Still didn't obey. Still didn't obey. He goes, goes right into battle. Well, as, as you return back to the, the whole conflict here with the Philistines, uh, um, you know, they're starting to mount up against Israel, and the Philistine commanders and leaders don't like the fact that David is in their ranks. They get a little scared and nervous. And, of course, before we were kind of thinking, well, is David going to have to fight against Israel, his people? But he's saved uh, by the king who steps forward and says, listen, David, my Philistine commanders don't like the fact that you're here, so why don't you just go back home to Ziklag? And so David doesn't have to fight. So the Lord, again, intervenes in a situation where it was going to be a little bit delicate and you don't know if he's going to actually fight against his own people, intervened and says, you can go back. Um, go, go back to Ziklag. Um, and, but going back to Ziklag, he learns of something else that happens. Um, he learns of the fact that while he was away, again, the Amalekites show up and they raid the town of Ziklag and they take away, take everybody away captive. It says they didn't kill anybody, which I think is interesting. Yeah. It right. says specifically that. It says they had crushed right. Ziglag and burned it to the ground. They carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing yeah. anyone. They did not kill anyone. Isn't that they, very interesting? Very unusual. In and a time all of the war. way through the Old Testament, uh, 
Agag and the Amalekites, the descendants of Agag, raised their ugly head because of our previous sins. And if Saul would have dealt with them earlier, even Esther, yeah. the descendants of Agag, we find the word Agag over and yep. over again in the book of Esther. Yep. And uh, they wanted to destroy the Jews. They hated the Jews. So Saul's disobedience, man, it just, can't, it, it just kept rising up from the text, causing more trouble all the way through Old Testament history down, down to, to Esther. So I think that's a pretty amazing. So what happens is that now David turns a corner because before in, what was it, chapter 27, he doesn't seek the Lord. Right. But now here in chapter 30, it's a whole different story. It's just three days later, yeah. you know, what's happened here, they're taken away, and some of his men who are with him are a little upset, and David could probably feel the tension of what's going on. And so, you know, he, he doesn't know what to do. So this time he turns to God. It says in verse 7, Then he turned to Abathar the priest, Bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, Should I chase after this band of raiders? Will That's I the, catch them? The first time in 16 months. You see, yeah, he, he exactly. calling for the priest, and, exactly, and calling for the ephod, and David inquiring of the Lord, even speaking of the Lord. Sixteen months, and you can read through that, and it's it's pretty amazing. I think sometimes we go a long time without really seeking mm-hmm. the Lord from from the Word, and even even in prayer. And uh, so you're exactly right. Yeah, and I remember reading a verse. Um, when people refuse to pay attention to the Word of God, it becomes increasingly difficult for them to hear the Word of God. And I, and I wrote down this verse, and I know you've studied Jeremiah, Jeremiah seven thirteen to 16, where it's almost as if Jeremiah says, listen, don't pray, don't do anything. Oh, yeah. I've already rejected the people. And that's God saying to Jeremiah, don't pray for the people, don't intercede for them. I've already yeah. rejected them. And well, it's a strong verse. Yeah, it's strong. Proverbs says, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law... Yeah. Even his prayer will be an abomination yep. to him. That's, yep. that's, that's strong, like you're saying from Jeremiah. Yeah, and, and as much as Saul had prayed and asked, God had rejected. But here is 16 months later, David's asking, and the Lord responds. And the Lord says, go after them. You will surely recover Absolutely. everything yep. that was taken from yep. you. Everything. And at the very end, you'll notice of what happens in this chapter— Every last thing is returned. So God's word, exactly what it says. So they go and they find, you know, David goes and hunts and talks about an Egyptian here that he found in the field, was a servant of an Amalekite, you know, take us to where your Amalekites are, and they're in the camp, and they go, and verse 16, so he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread across the field, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amounts of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. And David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire day until evening. That's a long time. Oh, my. And, and I, I think it's really amazing <laughs> that David will take the time to assist and, and help a half-dead Egyptian. The Amalekites left him behind because he yeah. was half-dead. They didn't point. feed him anymore. They didn't yeah. give him any water. Yeah. And so David really found the answer to his prayer he found his children. He found his two wives. Yeah. He found the Israelites because this one Egyptian, a nobody, a slave, yeah. yep. he was a nobody. Yeah. David fed him and took care of him yeah. and and while Israel, he ministered. I was going to say because Israel had been in bondage with yeah. Egypt. They didn't like the Egyptians. Yeah. That and he was leads them right to the, 
to the enemy. Leads them right to them, yep. and they're able to take back what happened. It says, none of the Amalekites escaped, verse 17, 400 young men who fled on camels. And it says, David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything that had been taken. David brought everything back. He recovered all the flocks and herds, and all his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. Now, David returns because of the 600, there were 200 men that were too tired, and they stayed behind. They stayed behind probably with some of the supplies right. and some of the equipment. Right. And the 400 who go out into battle, they're coming back, and David's saying, okay, we need to split up the spoils among everybody. And they get all selfish. They were worthless. Yeah. Men. Well, they the stayed spirit. back. Sons of Belial. Yeah. What does the, the, new, the I think it NLT says, calls them in verse 22? Uh, is it verse 22? Some evil troublemaker. Evil troublemaker. Among David's yeah. men. They yeah. didn't go with us, so they can't have any of the plunder we recovered. Yeah. Give them their wives and children, but let them be gone, yeah. it says. So again, David shows compassion. He shows what a true king Absolutely. is and looks like. He says, no, no, it's for everybody. Yeah. We'll share the spoils of war. We'll share everything. Share and share like my text says, those who go to battle, those who guard the equipment. So from then on, David made this regulation for Israel, and it's still followed to this day. Yes, it says that, but Numbers chapter 31 told us that that was already supposed to happen. The law of Moses says, yes. if you read that, so David was in compliance with the law of Moses. He didn't create the law at this point. David was following God's law. So there's another example of how David was following God's law, and it's still practiced to this day. Because it's true, you know, you've got some people that are staying back, and they're guarding all the you know, things that you don't need for war. You know, maybe all the tents and all the equipment and all right. the supplies and things you don't need necessarily to go out for war. Somebody has to protect. Somebody that has stuff. to guard that. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, somebody has to be the uh, the uh, keeper of the the lookout yeah. for <laughs> when when you're doing a, yeah. a heist, right? Yeah. Somebody's got to be the lookout. <laughs> Nobody wants to be the lookout. Everybody wants to be part of the you know part of the uh, the conflict or whatever. Uh, but uh, as a result, David shows shows leadership, um, and he shows what a true king looks like uh, when this happens. Yeah. Um, and uh, we find that uh, David also follows through with his example of this because in the very next couple of verses, then David decides to take some of his spoils that he received and send it forward to the elders of Judah who were his friends. And here's a present for you taken from the Lord's enemies. He says, the gifts worth for these people. Again, so David's kind of slowly becoming more, the, the people are beginning to love him more and more and more, and now he's sending them gifts as well. Very um, generous. Very generous. Very and, generous. And he's just um, showing. Yeah. And it, it an amazing in detail, and it says to those who are in Bethel, those who are in Ramah. It yeah. just goes all the way down and shows yeah. his radical generosity yep. of the spoils that he shared, like what you said, with his, with his friends. And, and all the other places, last verse of yeah. 30, and all the other places David and his men had visited. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of places. That's a lot of places. And some of those places, they didn't yeah. get really a good welcome. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he still sends them back gifts. In um, this one chapter, we, we left out one great, great verse that, you know, when David came back to Ziglag and it was all burned up. Yeah. And he lost. They lost everything, and the, the the guys spoke of stoning him. Yep. That that text where David strengthened himself. Some say God, yeah. he encouraged himself in the Lord his God, and yeah. everybody was against him. But David learned how to do that himself to strengthen himself. 
in the Lord. That's hard that's, to do. That's hard to do. That's difficult because usually someone else yeah. is being the encourager or someone else is helping you. But when you have to do it alone by yourself, when you've got even those that are close to you are turning on you, the only resort you have is to go to God for help. And Saul went to what was called the Witch of Endor, yeah. but David went directly to Abathar. He went to get the Urim and yeah. the Thummim. Went through the proper, the proper channels, yep. and then he went directly to the Lord and encouraged himself in the, in the Lord, and his following through even gets deeper there. But it's so important that you and I have a, a hidden life, a faithful life along with God where we yeah. just get encouragement from the Word. And, man, the, the, the Bible is so encouraging, isn't it? That's why it's important to read it because oh. you can't get encouraged by oh it if my. you don't read it. Oh. And you read how many of the times through the Psalms where David would just go to the Lord. You are my refuge. You are my hiding place. Absolutely. I seek you. I, I, I thirst for you. I desire for you. It's not for other people. It's for God himself. That's right. And so David had this ability to, like you say, to encourage himself, to strengthen himself in the Lord his God. And sometimes it's lost art because we depend on other people to do that for us. If you're coming to church every week so the pastor can encourage you in the Lord, yeah, you're getting some encouragement, but you're not getting all of what God can do for you. What all that God has for you. If you read the text and read the scriptures and immerse yourself into the story, and you realize there's so much more. There's so, so much more. Um, But David is the example here. Um, he sets the example for uh, the then people. He, then he gives, gives radically. That's yeah. a good way to end that chapter, isn't it? He gives in a, in a faithful, just a giving giving person. And, man, that's, that's something we all can strive for because yeah. we're born so selfish. Yeah, and we are. Those worthless men, sons of Belial, the text says, <laughs> verse 22 in the New King James says they, they were wicked, worthless yeah. men. And so... Thank God for, for people who are, are generous and use what God gives them. God gave them the spoils, and David was so generous uh, to make sure that his friends were, were taken care of. I, I love that. That just uh, touches my heart. Well, what God had said would happen for Saul happens in chapter 31. Um, it says, Now the Philistines attacked Israel. And the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Goboah. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons, and they killed three of his sons, Jonathan, uh, Abendab, and Malkashua. And the fighting grew fierce around Saul, and the Philistine archers came up and wounded him. Saul says to his armor bearer, take your sword and kill me before these Philistines do. Armor bearer says, I don't want to do that. I don't feel right doing that. And so fall. He commits suicide, falls on his own sword, and then his armor bearer does that as well. Now, the next day when the Philistines find Saul and the body of his three sons, they take and they uh, take the corpse, cut off his head, take his armor, and they go and they do something that's kind of um, harsh. I mean, shaming. It's showing disrespect. Uh, They go and they attach their heads and their armors to the wall of their temple. But it says when the people of Jabez Gilead find out what happens, they go through the night and they take the bodies off and they give him a proper burial uh, where the bodies are buried. Yes. Um, so I think that was, uh, uh, I think that was good for these fellows to do this. I mean, to show respect. I mean, yeah, Saul wasn't the greatest of all. He was still disobedient all the way. But even in the end, he gets some measure. Of, of respect, although it says then they took their bones and buried them under beneath a tamarisk tree at Jabez. 
it's not really a royal funeral procession. But nonetheless, at least in death, his body is they respected. Retrieved his body. The New King James says from one of the temples of the Ashtaroths, plural, and uh, uh, the many gods of the Philistines yeah, worship one, the the one of the temples. And so again, you're putting the oh. and the the ideology here or the thinking here is you're putting you know, you've defeated an enemy, and so you're taking his king and you're putting it in the temple. It's almost tribute to your God yes. that you serve, say, saying thank you to your God that you serve for helping us defeat this enemy. That's why you would take things or men or people that way, and you'd take them and you'd put take them in there yep. yeah, to show that you know your God is somehow stronger, more powerful uh, than, than the other ones as well. Kind of like what they did with, uh, well, Philistines had this happen more than once with Dagon and some of the other ones back earlier in uh, in First Samuel, um, some of the things that happened there. So um, Saul, they mourned for him for a total of seven days. Then it takes you right into Second Samuel chapter one. I had to just read that one because it's kind of the end, continuing the about story. the death of yep. Saul and, and and David here. And uh, it says after the death of Saul, David returned from victory over the Malachites, spent two days in Ziklag, and on the third day, a man comes and tells David what happens. It's in the Malachite. And, you know, the story's different from what 1 Samuel 31 says. I think it's also in 1 Chronicles 10 and from 2 Samuel chapter 1. So this Amalekite, whomever he was, may have had some additional information. That's the way I like to think of it, to add to the story of, sure. of what happened. But it does say that Saul did kill himself. Um, so this Amalekite, maybe he was trying to take some... Take some glory, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and coming into this camp knowing that he might be killed, he's got to have something to where they won't kill him. Right. Um, but I think it's I think it's interesting that, that David believes the story, and then they mourn all day. And then later on... David takes care of it. <laughs> David takes care of it. So David is merciful at first and mourning what's happened. He's mourning Saul. He's mourning right. uh, the sons that have died. And then he replies, you took you know Saul's life, so therefore... Yeah. You can't take the life of, of God's anointed. And even though Saul and his sons now are dead, kind of clearing the path for David's ascension to the throne, David still acts respectfully uh, towards the Lord's anointed. Yes. Towards Saul. And how many times back through the rest of David's, uh, or Saul chasing David, did David refuse to take? He had many opportunities. Didn't touch the Lord's anointed. Didn't touch the Lord's anointed. Yeah. Uh, didn't speak harshly, wasn't disrespectful. None of that. And, uh, you know, that's a lesson for us today because I hear about stories sometimes of people, you know, calling down pastors and, and, and preachers, uh, the Lord's anointed ones, for that particular congregation or church and speaking harshly to them or speaking in a disrespectful way. Yeah. Uh, you better take note of what, what happens here in the text. Be careful. Yeah, they may not be the best person. They're human, just like everybody. They're going to make mistakes. I mean, David makes mistakes. Yeah. Saul makes yeah. mistakes. And you make a great point that yeah. the Word of God honors and respects the Lord's Absolutely. prophets and the Lord's kings and yeah. God's leaders. But we're living in a day in American culture where it's we want to bring people down. We oh, want to yeah. disrespect people. Yeah. And uh, as a way of lifting yourself oh my. up. If which we got is, that kind of stuff in our hearts, yeah. there's no place in the heart of a believer for that stuff. That's yeah. that is that is some heavy garbage there. I completely agree. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think a lot of that is because, going back to the basics, people are just not 
studying God's right. word, just, just not just in not God's in the word, book. just not, not rooted read. and grounded. Yeah, exactly. Not rooted and grounded like the podcast. <laughs> I'll tell you this one quick uh, story will be done on the way back from my last vacation that I took. Um, I was going to finishing out a book that I was reading, um, and it's called How Not to Read the Bible. Mm. It was a really good book. And uh, I was coming up on the elevator with it um, and not thinking. I just finished it. I mean, I was felt good because I accomplished the reading book of what I wanted to at vacation because you're like, oh, I want to do vacation, spend time doing this, but I really want to do some other things too. Um, so I had it in my hand, not thinking of anything, and lady got on riding up on the elevator, and it says, um, the book said something, had like some kind of uh, line that said something like, um, if uh, the quickest way to lose your faith is to read your Bible. It was a tagline that kind of wow you to get you to read right, it right. and the lady had I guess she read that and she looked at it and she says you know what I believe that yeah. she said, and she said this and I thought this was so sad and she says my Bible has been upstairs in my attic for the last nine years I read it I know who Jesus is I know what he did for me and that's all I need to know and I thought I didn't even know what to say because I'm like on the elevator I'm like <laughs> dumbfounded yeah. with a shocking statement yeah. like that and I thought it, but it was part of, it's funny because the way the Lord worked that out, because that's kind of what I had just been finished reading about that, how people avoid reading the scriptures because they don't fully understand everything that's in it. Listen, yep. I don't fully understand yep. everything that's in it either, but I still read it and read it each and every day, Amen. every time I can get it. Amen. And I felt so sad for that lady. But if that's true with her, how many other people is that true with? Yeah. You know, they're so fearful of what's in here. They don't want to read it. They don't want to get involved with the story, the context, and everything that's involved. And uh, one of the things that book told me, and it said this, it says, never read a Bible verse. Isn't that kind of interesting? It says, never read a Bible verse. Always read the paragraph the Bible verse is in. Oh, my. And I thought, that's Absolutely. a good statement. That's oh, something. Yeah. That's, context, that, context. Exactly. <laughs> context, context. And I think we just, a lot of times we read the scriptures for what we can get instead of immersing ourselves Right. Into the larger story. Right. And, and so, like, you know, as we've covered this story, as we come to an end here, we've covered this story with, uh, you know, Samuel, or, or excuse me, Saul and David. You know, we've kind of immersed ourselves into the story because there are a lot of things that you don't see if you're just reading one verse or a oh couple my. of verse or just a paragraph. Absolutely. You're, you got to get involved into the larger context. Yes. So if we had time, we could talk about First Samuel, the book. Actually, first and second Samuel are all one book, the books of Samuel, the first part and the second part. But you'd have to do a much larger study, and you get much more with context. Um, and, and it helps you to see that God has a reason for everything he does. I mean, if we wanted to make the Bible say whatever we wanted to say, you know what? It'd be really easy. Yeah. Take it like a telephone <laughs> book and you just, pull those verses out. And just take it right out of context, <laughs> like, like, like fortune cookies, you know? <laughs> yeah. just, take it right out of, just take it right out. The other day I ate a fortune cookie, but I forgot the fortune that was in there, so I started pulling the fortune out of my mouth. And I was, oh. Anyway, all right, we're finished for our time. Next week we will start on um, the I am statements. That's a great way to end with the fortune cookie. <laughs> That's great. All right, so keep up your Bible reading. Also remember, if you have any questions, you can always send them to Bible reading at lmbc.org, and we'll be glad to answer those questions. Haven't gotten a whole lot, so I guess we must be doing good. Um, but if you send one of those questions, we might be able to answer it live here on our podcast. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but just send it. We'll be glad to answer it as we get time. And keep up your reading, and we'll see you guys next time.